How do you stay motivated? What do you do to stay in the game? What do you do? What, what are those things that you tell yourself? What are those things that you say, you know what, I need to remember this to keep going? If, if I were to take a survey of this room, I think we all have this one thing in common. We all want to live a good life. We want to do good. And so we search for those areas of motivation. We say, you know what, what can help me pursue this good life? What can keep me motivated? What can keep me on track? And sometimes we have, sometimes we have people who motivate us, sometimes we have things, sometimes we have sayings. We share these with each other. Maybe it's a TED Talk, if you're, if you're into that, or it's a, it's a motivational speaker that you listen to. You see, finding advice is excellent. It is profitable. This advice helps us live a good life. For these last few weeks, we've been in the book of Titus. And in Titus, we, we see Paul is writing to Titus, Titus who is at, in Crete, and he's, he's charged with taking care of this church, and he's charged with building up leadership, and he's charged with a lot of, a lot of overwhelming work. And Paul is saying, here's, let me give you one small saying. This is a trustworthy saying. This is something that's important. This is excellent. Pay attention to this. In fact, this morning, I would suggest to you that while it's written to Titus, it's important for us to listen to those words. And I would say for us that are seeking to live good lives, for us that are seeking to live and to do good for others, for those of us who are seeking to live the life that God has called us to, it's important that we listen to what Paul has to say. So right before I get to that, we're in the book of Titus chapter 3, and we see Paul is instructing Titus, and he starts this by saying, remind them. So let me read from chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Paul is writing to Titus, but as he's writing to Titus, he's also writing to Titus to remind the church, the church that he is, he is overseeing, the church that he is pastoring, the church that the believers that are in his congregation, he's saying, remind them that they live in a culture. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about the Cretan culture. We talked about how they are liars, how they are deceitful, how they are lazy gluttons. They, we talked about how it's just a, just a dismal picture of a culture. And in this culture, here's a group of people who are called to be countercultural. Here's a group of people who are called to be different. And Paul is saying, for the last two chapters, in chapter 1, he lays out qualifications. Chapter 2, he's saying, old men, young men, old, older women, younger women, do this, slaves do this. And he's listing out, these are the ways that you should live in this culture, in a culture that does not see the value that you see, in a culture that, does, that is opposed to this Christ. He's saying, live these values out. And he's saying, when he comes to chapter 3, he says, remind them. See, Paul is imagining a culture, a Christian culture, a group of people that live so differently that even in their culture, people look at them and say, why are they different? When everybody lives selfless, self, selfishly, 
when everybody, it's all about their own personal ambitions, when everybody lives contrary to the law, when it's all about being self-sufficient, being, um, <clears throat> having no rules and authority over them, he's saying, I'm imagining a culture, a group of people that would live counterculturally. And he starts off by just saying, be law-abiding, submissive to rulers and authorities. Paul implies here that <clears throat> while Christians, we live and serve our God, we're still citizens in this world. We still live in our society. And as a part of living in the society, we are to obey and we are to be submissive to the rulers of our time. Our submission to the law is our witness, is essentially what he's saying. A few years ago, this was over a decade ago, when I was still living back in Atlanta, I was serving with a, uh, with a Christian conference. This conference comes, uh, came to Atlanta over one summer, and it was a, it was a few days long. It ended on a Sunday morning with, with a Sunday morning worship service. And so they had asked, as part of working with them, they had asked me to help out on the, that Sunday morning with a part of the service. So wake up that morning, I get my brother and my sister in the car, and we're ready to go. Realize that we're running late. Running late, so you would do what, or I did, what most of us would do. This conference was a few, about 20 miles away from home, so guess what I did? I booked it. I was flying down I-85. <sighs> and as, as you can imagine, guess what I see? Blue lights behind me. Right here I am, I'm ready for service, I am ready to serve, I'm ready to do what I've, God's called me to do, and yet I'm being pulled over, I'm to the side of the road, the, guy, the, uh, the officer gives me a citation, he gives me a ticket, and I, I'm on my way. I get to the service, do what I have to do, I, I serve that, that morning, and then as I'm about to head out, I saw one of my friends who really was not a Christian at that point, he just started attending church, and we're standing there and talking. So he, and he says, so, what happened this morning? You see, where I got pulled over was five miles away from the conference center, and everyone who was going to that conference center saw me get pulled over. And here I am serving, doing what God's calling me to do, and in the, in the eyes of this, this young Christian, my the fact that I was not submitting to the law hindered my witness. It took away from the fact that as a Christian, I am called to submit. Not submitting to the law hindered my witness. Your submission, your living in accordance with the rules, your living in accordance with the law enhances the way you bring glory to God. It enhances in a world that's always looking to cut corners, in a world that's always looking to get there faster and not getting caught. When you're living according to the law, when you're living according to the, the guidelines, you are countercultural. What would it look if every Christian in this room, we were submissive, we, were, we, we lived the right way? Would it bring people's eyes on us? 
And then he continues, he says, be ready for every good work. Followers of Jesus are always looking for an opportunity to serve, to do something good, to do something good in their own lives, to do something good in the lives of the community. Find a place. He's basically telling, telling the Christians in Crete, find a place where you can do good, where you can establish your influence, where you can bring the grace of God to a place that does not experience it, where you can bring hope to a place that so desperately needs it. This is not just so that we're filling a need, but instead it is to bring glory to God. He continues, speak evil of no one. In other words, guard your tongue. Ephesians 4.29, Paul is writing, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Your words bring grace to those who hear, and when it's corrupted, it does the opposite. And so Paul is saying, be gracious in your words. Be truthful in your words. What would it look like if every Christian in this room thought before he or she spoke? What would it look like if every Christian in this room thought and prayed before you posted something online, responded to a thread online? What would it look like He's saying, speak evil of no one. And he continues, avoid fights, avoid quarreling. In other words, be peaceful. Be peaceable. Do not repay evil for evil. Instead of getting even, introduce mercy and grace. Be willing not to fight in conversations and in actions. Be willing to ask, how will my response against me, for those actions against me, make Jesus look? How will what I do make Jesus look in this situation? Can you imagine a world where every Christian would take what's coming at them and respond in love and grace? When every Christian would take the evil of this world that they're experiencing and turn it around with joy and grace, what would that world look like? And then he says, be gentle and show courtesy towards all people. See, sometimes we as people, we like our rights. We don't like it when we're wronged. We don't like it when our freedoms are encroached upon. As Americans especially, we love our freedoms. So much so that when someone infringes on them, we are angered, we are, we're enraged. A few Christmases ago, Jen and I, we were at Assembly Square right down in Somerville. We're, we're getting ready to get some shopping done, so we find this one parking lot that we always park in, and we've been circling for quite a while. We've been circling and circling and circling, and finally we see that spot right there. We go, we put our blinkers, we're waiting, we're waiting for this person to pull out. As they pull out, and I'm getting ready to pull in, someone jumps in. What would you do? Everything in me, that boiling rage said, I should get out and key that car. <laughs> right? Or do you say no? no? You guys are so much better than I am. <laughs> no, I did not key that car. Do I fight for my right? Do I confront the person saying, hey, this was mine? Do I get enraged? 
Do I say this was a right that you have denied me? In such moments, Paul is saying, make the choice to be gentle. Make the choice to realize that fighting for that right actually works against your witness in the moment. I'm not saying that you just lay down and take whatever comes at you. There are rights that are undeniably yours. Fight for them. But he says, in the moment, take stock of what needs to be done. In the moment, employ wisdom. In the moment, ask the Holy Spirit, what should I do? Do I fight for this or do I give in so that your name may be glorified? Paul is simply saying, this is how you live. Live counterculturally in a culture that so is angered by God, that is so against God, that is so against the principles of the, of the Christian body, of the Christian church. He says, live counter to that. You see, Christ compels us to live different from where, the way our culture goes, not to quietly sit and watch evolving cultural trends, and not subtly shift our views based on what the, what the culture says. Not to watch TV and to base our views solely on that. Not to watch the latest op-ed and to base our lives on that. But instead to courageously share and live out our convictions through what we say and how we live. And especially when these contradictions contradict the popular positions of our day. We are called to live counter to our culture. But in order to accomplish this, you may be sitting here and going, you know what, this is overwhelming. This is way too much. Why do I need to do this? What is the reason? What do I do? You see, Paul starts with what to do, and then he transitions after verse 1 and 2, then he transitions into why we do it. So let's read verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred, hated by others and hating one another. That's quite a list. I don't know anyone who, of us who would say, you know what, that's how I lived. But Paul is saying, that is your reality. Have you ever had to deal with the mistake of a family member or a friend? And it seemed like every time you deal with it, they make that same mistake again. Every time you deal with it, they go right back. And everything in you just wants to scream, stop it. Everything in you just says, you know better. Everything in you just wants to judge them. Everything in you just wants to, wants to write them off. And Paul is saying, hold on. You see, there's something inside of us that wants to look at others, judge them for their lifestyle, their behavior, their relationships. Sometimes we even make reasons as to why we're better than them. This can be especially true when we're a new Christian, and a new Christian who has not built that maturity would look at what, what's wrong around them and say, you know what, let's write it off. By doing this, we become judgmental and arrogant. We make value judgments as to who deserves to be in our communities, who deserves to hear the gospel. We may get arrogant about our station in life and says, look how good I'm being and look at how bad they are. If we're truly honest, haven't we all had those thoughts? 
Have when we looked at ourselves and say, look at how good I am. God is lucky that I'm on his side. <laughs> and look at how bad it is out there. Perhaps if there's one consistent critique of those who follow Jesus, those who claim to be Christians, it is their inability to play well with others. Christians receive a great deal of criticism for the way in which we interact with those who do not believe what we believe. You see, we become sometimes like that small town performer or the musician who suddenly struck fame and now will not look back. They've forgotten where they've come from. Paul is recognizing that we have a tendency to look back on our culture, to look back on those things that we were once in with contempt. And he's saying, remember where you came from. Do not forget that you too were once there. In verse 3, he's listing eight characteristics of what is the Cretan culture. But if we really pay attention, he's talking about us too. It's worth taking a closer look. He's saying we were once foolish. Have you ever made bad life choices no matter how bad your, how good your intentions were? You see, the fool says in his heart there is no God. A fool lives like there is no God. Paul says we were once foolish. We were disobedient. Do you have, do you have a hard time submitting to authority? That leads to trouble. We were once led astray. Have you ever ended up in a place in your life that you never thought would happen? Have you ever been in company where you ended up doing things that you never thought you would do? We were once led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. Do you have something in your life that you feel like you should be able to control? You feel like you should have it down, but you just can't. We were passing our days in malice and envy. No matter how successful you are, do you find yourself a little jealous and undercutting others? We were hated by others and hating one another. No matter how hard you try, do you find that you're sometimes competitive, hold grudges, and struggle with anger? Paul is saying to each and every one of us, this is who you were. Don't forget that. Remember from where you came. Remember what your state was. Remember what you were. He says, remember. Maybe there are some of you in this room that, says, that listens to this list and say, you know what? I feel like I am that person. I feel like I'm still here. But wait, there's hope. See, because of who we are, the reality is we deserve nothing. The reality is we deserve death for who we were, for what we did. We were walking dead and we did not even know it. Imagine the inconvenience and even the awfulness of being declared dead by the U.S. government. In, this is a true story. In August of 2010, the communications specialist Judy Rivers went to her local bank to open a new account. As the clerk input Rivers' personal information, everything seemed to be going smoothly, and the, but the woman all of a sudden abruptly stopped. 
That's odd, she said. There seems to be an issue regarding your social security number. With a skeptical glance, the employee rose and disappeared into the back room. Several minutes later, Rivers was greeted by the branch manager. Ma'am, the woman pronounced, brandishing a folded paper. Your social security number was deactivated in 2008 due to death. <laughs> Incredulous, Rivers rose from her chair and she said, you're trying to tell me that I've been dead for two years, she stammered, and no one told me? <laughs> you see, Rivers' plight as a categorized deceased person is not, is not singular. It's not the only case. It's estimated that every year, 12,200 U.S. citizens are declared dead by the Social Security Administration, get this, due to keystroke errors. In 2011, the Office of the Inspector General conducted an audit of the death master file and found that from May 2007 to April 2010, 36,657 people had been added to the master file, making them legally dead. See, those affected were essentially walking dead. They were living, but legally dead. They were not able to secure jobs. They were, not, they were not able to make financial transactions, file taxes, or visit the doctor. And for months on end, they had to endure the, the nightmare of convincing a bureaucracy that they were not dead. Before we chose to follow Jesus, we too were like the walking dead. We too were like Judy Rivers. We're living, we're alive, living our lives but in reality, dead. Our actions, our foolishness, our sins, they were those of a dead person. They deserve judgment. Paul tells us that when we interact with those who, where we come from, we're not to forget. When we interact with our culture, we're not to forget that we come from a state that was once dead. We were once dead in our sins. When we're tempted to look back at our culture with contempt, he's saying, do not forget that you were once dead. You were once, even though you're walking around, you were illegally, spiritually, you were dead. Then in the next verse, Paul begins this next verse that should cause every person in this room, knowing that they were once dead, should cause us to be glory in just in full of joy. And for those of you who do not, who have not experienced this joy yet, will bring hope. These are the two words he says, but when? Let's read this. In verses four through eight, he says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us not only beca not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. Paul starts this, this little section, he, he says, but when? Every one of us, we were in a state of death, but when? But when the kindness and mercy of our God appeared, we were removed. And I submit to you that every one of us in this room, every one of us listening to this podcast at some point, we need to have a but when moment. 
Do you have that moment where you can look back and say, I was dead, but when the kindness and mercy of my, Lord, uh, my God appeared, he rescued me. I ha- do you have that but when moment? We all, every person, must come to the realization that unless something big happens, I am lost. Maybe that moment for you is today. That no matter how well you try to live life, how well you try to be good, how well you try to do good, here's the good and the bad news. Well, let me go with the bad news. It'll never happen. No matter how much you try, it is not going to happen. No matter how much good you do, that does not make you a good person. Here's the good news. The work of Christ does. But when the, kind, when the kindness and when the grace of God appeared, he takes what was once bad, he takes what was once filthy, he takes once, once what was hopeless, and he restores it. So in your life today, whatever your circumstances, you're looking at it and saying, it is hopeless, it is broken, it is, it is beyond repair, I, am, I have lost all hope. And he is saying, but when this kindness of, the, of our God appears, watch what it does. It restores. We must all have this but when moment. Sir Isaac Newton writes, I know I am a great sinner, but I know that Christ is a great Savior. No matter how great your sin is, how bad it is, how much sin you've accumulated over time, here's the good news. Christ is an even bigger Savior. When was the last time you thought about your life before you knew Christ. As you sit here today, can you think of the circumstances that led you to Christ, the state that you were in at one point? Paul saying, remember where you came from. But he's also saying, remember who brought you here. Remember where you came from, but remember who got you here. We did nothing to deserve this. We all have little patience for this successful business person or athlete who refuses to recognize all those people who have helped them get to where they are. The people that helped them build on their success and now they are successful. We look at those persons and says how those people and say how ungrateful what is wrong with that person? Yet we are willing in our own lives to forget who has saved us by slipping into the notion that somehow our actions, our goodness, our good deeds had something to do with it. What we hate in somebody else, too often we do on our own. This is God's kindness and goodness to us and nothing else. It is completely his effort Paul writes, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of the good things that we did, not not because of the, the wondrous person that you are, but instead because of his own mercy. And I hope I'm driving that point in. I hope you get that, that no matter how much you may try, it is not gonna work. It is only by his mercy. Paul says it is because of his goodness to us. You see, there is a temptation for each of us that we have to fight against. It's a temptation to slip back into thinking that we somehow deserve God's goodness. That we somehow deserve 
God's grace because we did the right things. And he's saying, fight that temptation because you once were. You had no hope. You were broken. But when his kindness... We do not do the things that God asks us or live good lives because we are accepted by God or to earn his love. We do them because we are accepted. We don't do it to be accepted. We do it because we are accepted. We don't do it because we have, because by doing it we gain salvation. We do it because we already are saved. Our good lives are based on his good work. Paul starts this chapter with a list of things that we are to do as Christians. However, when we hear these things, we realize that we can't do it on our own. As much as we would like to live a good life and do the right things, we are unable to do it on our own. But Paul gives us this excellent, worthy, a trustworthy saying that basically says, remember where you were. Remember what you come from. And remember who got you there. We were in need of saving. And then his grace appeared. I'm going to call the worship team back. And we're going to take some time to worship. And we're going to take some time to reflect. As we conclude, I want us to think. Take some time to think about where we were. Who we were. And how we've gotten here. And who got us here? You see, a person in the right spiritual mind never looks at this list, never looks at someone else who is in sin and says, and says I am better than them. They look at that person lost in, in sin and says, I was there. I was that person. They extend grace and compassion to that person. When's the last time you thought about your former life? No matter how good or bad you may think you were, we were all sinners, no matter the degree. We all started in that place. As we spend some time in worship, reflect on that former life that we had before we met Christ. As you remember all that God saved you from, praise Him and trust Him with opportunities He places in front of you to point others to that saving grace. And as we continue in worship, pray for a humble heart. You see, we have no reason to be arrogant. We have no reason to think we are higher than we are. Instead, we have every reason to be humble. We should not be arrogant or prideful of our station and be discourteous to other people because of who we were and what we came from. We were once sinful and in need of help. And so we have no reason for pride to build up. Remember who you were, what you came from, and who got you here. And then ask, as you step out into this coming week, as you step out into the future, that you are compassionate and driven to every good work. Because we have been forgiven, we must care. Because we have been forgiven, we must share this gospel. Because we have been given, we must be compassionate to those who do not know. We should care because we were once there. We are called to do all of this, not with conceited minds, callous hearts, 
but with the humble compassion of Christ. Always on display in everything that we do. That's what we're called to be. You see, we do good, not because it makes us right with God. We do good because we're already right with God. Let me say that again. We do good, not because it makes us right with God. We do good because we're already right with God. Doing good is not something you do to earn God's love. Because no matter how much you may try, we were once there. We were once sinful. We were once dead. And the only thing that could rescue us from that state was the kindness and the mercy of our Savior. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for this moment. Lord, even as we look into ourselves, Lord, help us remember where we were. That state of death, that state of brokenness, that state of disrepair, that state of hopelessness, that state where we had no recourse. And Lord, help us remember who took us out, who brought us out of there, and let our lives be formed by that. Let our lives, let that be the motivation for our lives. Let that be the truth, true and trustworthy saying that we hold our lives to. That we were once there, but you got us out of it. And Lord, we pray for those who are here in this room that have not experienced that, the grace of, that, of our Savior. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in them. We ask that you would deal with us. In Jesus' name I pray.